welcome to my first dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where, uh, you know what? This actually doesn't feel quite right this season. Uh, hang on. Carolyn, you mind taking this for me? <clears throat> Greetings and salutations. I welcome you once again to my first dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast that endeavors to educate game masters of all stripes in order that they may construct and enact their first one-shot. Then we retire to the parlor to engage ourselves in a vigorous bit of discourse on the best of times and the worst of times in our game and how we can make our next extravaganza the talk of the town. As you may have surmised, dearest listener, this season we will be playing Good Society, a game of estates and balls, sly glances and turns about the garden, at least on the surface. Underneath is a game about social ambition, family obligation, and breathtaking, heart-stopping longing. And in case you couldn't tell, the word parlor there actually has an extra U uh, for anyone in the U.S. So, you know, you know what kind of game we're playing. I can't introduce this game any better than that. So I'm going to bring out the game master for this season right away. The GM for this season is an incredibly talented comedian, writer, streamer, all-around multi-hyphenate performer. You can find her hosting Fuck, Mary Kill Champions every week on You Jokes on a number of dropout shows, including Breaking News, Dirty Laundry, and Game Changer. You can also find her streaming multiple times a week on Twitch as Jacuzzi Tubs. And finally, if you've been listening to this podcast, then I think you will recognize her from our die season as Anna, better known as the Fool Viper. I could say more, but I'm just dying to start this season with none other than Carolyn Page. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you back. Uh, how you been? Oh, I've been good. I'm, I've been filling my noggin with the, the finer things of the upper class in preparation for this. So I'm very excited to roll out all my British accents. <laughs> as well you should. <laughs> Carolyn, I know we had you on as a player for a previous season, but having you on as a GM, I've got a couple questions to ask you. And the first is, how did you get into tabletop role-playing games? Like, what was your genesis moment into this wide and wonderful world in which we find ourselves? It was actually through work <laughs> when I was working at, I know, I know. Great, great work. Uh, yeah, what a, what a time we live in. I was actually working at Dorkly as their on-screen host. And I'd played in, I think, one D&D session before that. And then we started a, a weekly show called table pop where we did different little hacks of indie games each week um and so i did that for a long time and then kind of haven't stopped playing ever since i love it and uh yeah. now that you you've kind of uh, experimented with a bunch of different types of games through dorkly through dungeons and dragons through this podcast mm -hmm. what are the games that are drawing your attention right now other than the game we'll be playing this season Oh my gosh. Well, my friend is, um, my friend Chris Wolf has this hack called Night Tripper that's very fun that I've been playing that he's actually working on 
he's a game designer, so it's like not even out yet. So that's been really fun to like watch a game kind of come to life and take shape as we're playing it and like playtesting it. Um, so that's really fun. I'm always on the lookout for new Magic the Gathering, <laughs> uh, Magic the Gathering games from Wizards of the Coast that are like proper D and D, but just skinned in Magic the Gathering. Because I, more than anything, I love a tight world. Like I love good world building and good lore and good story. And the Good Society's got that in spades. So I'm so excited to play. And then when I asked you to be a game master this season, I gave you a whole list of games and you very quickly pinpointed Good Society. <laughs> what about this game kind of drew, what what drew you to this game specifically? What, what are you excited about uh, playing in this world? I think the future of role-playing games are non-combat, like not life or death. I mean, things can be life and death in good society. Certainly there's war and there's, you know, poverty and uh, that kind of stuff that can, that can, sickness that can come and overwhelm you, but it's, no one's fighting outright. And that's so much more interesting to me, those social dynamics, when, when a game can feel as high stakes as a life or death scenario, but it's just social dynamics that's mm -hmm. so fascinating to me i think that's the future of the genre and i think this is like leading leading the crest of that wave so i'm um yeah i'm excited to play i think it's very optimistic of you to think that the group of players we've put together won't find a way to instigate a duel in this game somehow <laughs> that's true <laughs> but carolyn i think both you and i are novices at this game mm -hmm. so we can we can only talk so much about how to play this game so I think instead it is time to turn to an expert in this game. And there is no better expert than the second guest on this episode. I would like to extend the heartiest of welcomes, the most cordial of introductions to our second guest. She is a writer, game designer, and co-creator of Story Brewers Roleplaying, and most notably for this episode, the co-creator of Good Society. A big, huge, grand welcome to Haley Gordon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, that was the best introduction to Good Society I've yet to witness. Uh, so thank you, <laughs> Carolyn, for that. <laughs> You're yeah. very welcome. <laughs> Haley, before we kind of dive into the rules and the kind of specifics of running this game, tell me, what is Good Society in the broadest sense? So Good Society, uh, we bill it as a Jane Austen role-playing. But really what it is, it is a collaborative tabletop game uh, for telling historical drama stories with your friends being a a historical drama game being something that is very inspired by like jane austen is there anything that players or gms should come into this game knowing if they're not familiar with that world i think that a lot of people are actually familiar with the tropes of historical dramas even if they are not hugely into that genre because we are constantly exposed to it through various media and movies uh that we see around and it seems to be pretty hot right now as well um <laughs> but even if you don't know anything about those specifically, uh, if you're coming in with a good instinct for the importance of relationships and uh, the way that drama and hierarchy fit into the world, then you should be uh, good to go. Lots of people have played this game uh, without being into that genre and they've had a good time. Uh, but if you do have a couple of things to keep into consideration when you're going in, if you're not familiar with kind of the tropes of historical dramas, the first one is that society is watching and judging you all the time. And it really makes a difference to how people think about you. So this, this could affect your marriage prospects, could affect your employment prospects, just generally how you're perceived in the ton, uh, as Carolyn said. Uh, so 
you have to balance your true desires uh, with the way that you want to be seen with the world. The second thing that is very important, and particularly within the context of good society, which is a game that is about the gentry, the the, the top 1% of mm-hmm. English society, if you will, <laughs> uh, is that money is vital. And if you don't have it, you'll end up dependent on someone or worse, kick down a social class and forced to do your own housework, maybe, if you can imagine. <laughs> uh, so the, the amount of money that people are spending uh, as members of the gentry in good society is such that you can't just get yourself a steady job and make that kind of money. That's not enough. You need that inheritance, allowance, dowry, whatever it is you need to maintain your lifestyle. So the stakes are high, and that's something that's on the mind. Uh, a lot of the characters in the game have that to think about. I really love games that you can come into it with a wide array of knowledge about the source material and still have a good time. You can come in knowing very little, have a great time, or come in with like deep historical Jane Austen, you know, knowledge and be able to incorporate either way. Um, I think it's great. If someone was coming into this game, knew they had a game, if I knew I had a game of Good Society next week and I wanted to get in the mood for a Good Society game, I wanted to uh, consume one piece of literature or movie or television show, what would you, what's your highest recommendation? So controversial but i'm really a big fan of the 2005 of uh, pride and prejudice I over the bbc the 2005. there we go yes it's great. Uh, thank you thank you so i would highly recommend going out and watching that uh there's also a fairly recent edi- movie edition of emma which as mm-hmm. far as vibes is like the vibiest i've seen austin be done the <laughs> costuming is impeccable uh so i really recommend that as well but there's so much out there so it's uh, hard to uh, fail to find something good and interesting if you're looking around. <laughs> and I will say, if you decide to watch the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, do not watch the American version that has a dumb extra scene at the end that shows happily ever after. No, no, no. You want to end on the line. <laughs> if any of, uh, I'm quite at my leisure. That's where the movie ends. The movie ends on the line. I'm quite at my leisure. If you see anything <laughs> after that, you're watching the wrong version. I was shocked to hear that existed, I, I must say. it. I didn't know it existed. And I got into like an uh, an altercation with someone who was like, no, there's a whole other scene where they like go to, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a whole other <laughs> scene where they, there's like a happily ever after one. Like, no, there's not. They never do that. And then I found out there was a crappy American version. Anyway, okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Before we turn to the game, Carolyn, I wanted to ask you, a lot of this this first episode, a lot of this show is about setting a game master up for success in a new game. And the best way to do that is kind of address where you think you are least confident or where where your biggest worries stem from from a game like this. Is there anything that is in the back of your mind that you are most worried about going into this session or that you're most uh, nervous to try out uh, or figure out? Yeah, I think we have a pretty large cast mm-hmm. for this for this one. I think we have five players. That's a lot. We've only we're trying to do it in a relatively short amount of time in four hours. So I just want to really make sure that everyone gets their moment in the spotlight and like everyone feels like their character has a satisfying arc because it's such a compressed timeline. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to like set ourselves up for success, but that's definitely my my biggest concern right now. And I think as we go through these rules, we'll kind of do our best to kind of address that concern, keeping that in mind. So hopefully by the end of this interview, you'll feel more at ease. And by the end of the game, you'll be feeling like a fucking champ. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Haley, kind of coming back to you, 
The first portion of the rule book talks about collaboration, which is kind of your guys' term for a session zero, establishing genre, tone, historical accuracy. I found that session zeros are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly useful and important because they very quickly, everyone agrees on the type of fun we're going to have. This is the this is what we want to do. This is kind of where we're aiming towards and also establishes the boundaries. These are the things we don't want to do. So all of a sudden we know exactly the kind of game we're playing. And if you know exactly what you're doing, everyone can have more fun doing it. You can really put all your eggs in that basket. Can you talk through a little bit about what you think should be in a good collaboration session for this game and what we should make sure to like end up with at the end of it to really set us up for success for a good game? Mm. So collaboration uh, in good society is really about following through a bunch of questions and choosing options that are going to guide you for your game. And then later on, uh, chucking out some stuff out there that you want to see. And of course, making sure you list anything that you don't want to see uh, to make sure that you can steer away from anything you're uncomfortable with during the game. I really think that the most important section of this game is really just to have an open discussion uh, and listen to each other and make sure that you genuinely are on the same page. Uh, because sometimes, you know, uh, you can have a tendency to agree on something without all actually agreeing about what that means. Uh, mm. So uh, when I run collaboration, I will tend to make sure that I hear from each player about uh, the most important decisions, uh, even if they're nodding their head, uh, just to make sure I understand what it is that they mean when, you know, when if we're, if we're choosing a tone and the tone that we've chosen is romantic comedy, what does that, what does that mean to that person? I, I want to know, right? Uh, just to make sure that we are actually on the same page with what we're going through with. So I think that's the most important thing to me. And especially for a one-shot, I feel like tone is one of the most important decisions that you will hit, uh, mm -hmm. whether people really want to take it into the, the Oscar Wilde importance of being earnest kind of uh, <laughs> silly direction, or if people want to, you know, keep it a little bit more serious and heartfelt, maybe closer to Jane Austen's persuasion. I think that's very important for a one-shot because you won't have a lot of time to steer away from that tone. Mm. For the longest time in my life, I think until like two years ago, I thought the importance of being earnest was like a drama. And then I saw a movie of it. And I was like, oh, this is hilarious. I didn't realize this was a pun. Specifically for good society collaboration, there are some questions that wouldn't appear in most things like historical accuracy and, and what playset you would be using. Can you talk a little bit about those two things specifically? Because I think they are less common. Yeah, so historical accuracy um, is really about removing barriers to storytelling or engaging in something that you and other people both really love and both expect with each other to bring to the table. So if you play with a group that aren't that familiar, you have the option to play with, you know, low historical accuracy, which is pretty much just like, we're going to tell a story, we're going to use whatever knowledge is in our brain, but basically the most important thing to us is the story. And we're not going to stop the story to naysay each other and be like, hang on, that wasn't invented until 10 years from now. <laughs> Whereas if you're a group that really loves the period and you love the history and you want to play with a lot of historical accuracy, that option is there for you on the table to commit to that experience and really bring in the things that you know to sort of uh, tell the story in a way that really buys into that. Um, and mm. I think paired with historical accuracy is another setting, which you didn't mention specifically, but I'm going to pop it in there, yeah, uh, which is how are you going to treat uh, gender norms yeah. in the game? So uh, Good Society has the option to uh, keep gender norms historical. You can also turn them off completely, or you can put them in reverse. And those are separate questions because you can play in a world where gender norms are reversed, but yet 
you take all your historical knowledge to try and interpret how that might actually have been in the Regency. Um, mm. But ultimately, that's another thing that can uh, make the game more accessible, more enjoyable for people when you're coming into play. Mm. Um, and the third thing that you mentioned is playsets. Playsets in Good Society are a combination of desires, relationships, family backgrounds, and character roles, which I'm sure we will we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Basically, what your character wants, who they know, and who they are. Uh, and depending on which ones you choose to combine with others, it will bring out different themes in the game. It might be more appropriate for different tones. Usually the playset that you're choosing isn't a decision in collaboration for the reason that it, it tends to be made ahead of time. Either, you know, you can hit up your group, uh, which is what I normally do. I'm like, hey, are we feeling like maybe a bit of family obligation or do we want to go everyone fighting over money? You know, what are we feeling today? <laughs> um, and then you can kind of have the opportunity to set it up ahead of time because it does take, you know, a few minutes to cobble everything together. At the same time, it is always a good group decision to make so you can make sure that you have created something that everyone is on board with. For character creation and using playsets, since we're doing a a, a one like four-hour one-shot with a larger cast, I know the, the book recommends you use a playset in full. So use essentially all pre-generated characters and relationships or like kind of a, a set number of things. I think that pre-generated is a bit of a misnomer here because uh, really what it is, is they're kind of like sets of materials that inspire your character. They don't mm. say anything about what your character is um, and who and, uh, you know, the details of their lives or their story. And the place that the Carolyn is going to be using is one that I myself have run many times with completely different kinds of characters and completely different results. Um, but what using it in full means is it just puts the pieces together a little bit so that it just takes less time for everyone to uh, work out the basics of uh, their character. Um, but if you're playing for a longer game, you can choose those things yourself and put them together yourself so you have more control over the kind of uh, person your character is, over the person your character is and how they fit in into the world. I'm so excited for the character creation. I think that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to because I love, it's just so satisfying the way that you've allowed players to build characters. Like just giving them these small details about, okay, I have this uh, a relative that hates me. Like that's so, there's so much color there that's like, <laughs> it just sparks so many ideas about who this kind of person could be. So it's like a really nice a wall to the house and then you can build like the roof of your own character over it. I just can't wait. The first like GM-less game I ever played was Wander Home and we talked to uh, Jay Dragon about the game before we played and Jay was talking about how those characters don't come alive until you start asking questions of each other as part of the character Mm. creation process and since then like that really opened my eyes to how important that is in character creation and how like helpful that is it just like Mm. it gets you so much further into the game before you even start and i think games like this that do that like right out of the box are it's such a boon to any uh, game master or facilitator because so much of the the heavy lifting is done right there up front and it's just great Uh, (laughs) i don't have a question for that i just wanted to say it's great (laughs) and that's the thing for good society why you have to sort of sit down and do it all together because uh who your character is is going to change a lot depending on whether someone else is saying, hey, you are my old flame or hey, you are my deepest rival. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No, knowing the group that we've we've put together, there's going to be some fun <laughs> interplay between these. It's, I'm very excited. Yeah, we have a really wide breadth of like experience. Like one of our players is, I think she could easily write a graduate level thesis about. She's named after a Jane Austen character. Wow. Like she's she. I know she knows like period dress. She knows all the historical facts. And then on the other side, I think we have a player who's like doesn't have any knowledge maybe maybe passingly aware of who Jane Austen is but so I'm I'm very excited for this like mishmash of chaos that's going to happen <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a time it's gonna be a time <laughs> time and a half and it's gonna end with them all getting married to each other I've already cool. decided that <laughs> <laughs> perfect that's what we want we want to decide the ending when we begin yeah exactly. <laughs> that's that's improv right <laughs> yeah 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 it's yes and my thing. <laughs> this is a, a diceless system. So if anyone's looking to hear the click clack of math rocks, you're not going to hear it in this game. You do have a game mechanic that is the resolve tokens, which is one of the more kind of mechanical elements of this game. Can you talk about what resolve tokens are and how they get used in the game? Resolve tokens are a narrative currency you can use to uh, influence the game or make things happen. Uh, so usually, uh, if you think, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this happened right now? That's a good cue to pull out your resolve token uh, and play it. And you could use it to make things happen in the world. Like, that's a storm now. You're going to have to huddle under an umbrella uh, or overturn <laughs> someone's carriage in the wake of the ball. Uh, or you could use it for your character to find out secret information. You can also use it to make things worse for your character if you would like to do so. Um, so basically... You can use them to change the world around you. Um, one of the important things about resolve tokens is that when you spend them in a way that is harmful to the interests of another major character or compels a character to do something, you need to enter into a resolve token negotiation with the player of that character. So you say, hey, this is what I would like to happen. I'm going to offer you my token for this. And the other person is either like, yeah, I'm into it. Give me that token. And the thing happens. Or they can say, yes, but only if, and put a condition on it. Or if it's something they're really not interested for the story, they can also say, no, you you keep your token. I'll keep my top hat on. Thank you. (laughs) Now now I'm really thinking I want to make a character who's just using resolve tokens against themselves. Like just making things work and just (laughs) like... That That would be wonderful. One of the player principles of good society is to orchestrate your own misfortunes. So I'm loving you thinking that way. Yeah. (laughs) I, I find that I don't get to play very often. I end up being game master or facilitator in some way. And every time I do play, I found that I've begun tending towards like lovable losers or people who are just like, just, <laughs> who are just bad at things. Not like they're statistically and mechanically bad at things. And I have a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> I always end it. up playing um, murderous elderly, just like a real <laughs> nasty like old person. That's my go-to. And then as is is apt for a Regency-era drama, one of the other key mechanics, rather than worrying about hit points or, or spell slots, worrying about our reputation. Can you talk a little bit about what reputation is in this game mechanically and how it, what causes it to go up and down uh, as play progresses? Absolutely. So in Good Society, your reputation is represented by reputation tags. So you may be charming or perhaps you're deceitful or maybe just have bad connections. Um, so it's, <laughs> it represents what society thinks about you. And initially those come from your family background, uh, but as the game progresses, they will be a result of your character's actions. 
So there's a phase in good society called the reputation phase in which you will assess the actions of your character and decide whether or not society thinks about them more positively, more negatively, or uh, perhaps both as a result of things that they've done so far in the game. I will say in a one-shot, reputation doesn't play that big a part because it's something that kind of builds up for characters over time. Mm. But in a longer game, that's definitely something that is more influential on your character. I'm, again, just thinking about how I can tank my character's reputation from the start. (laughs) (laughs) You can. I want to crawl out of a hole. (laughs) Do players start with reputation tags already? Yes, so uh, they will start with one positive and one negative one, and these come from their family background. So perhaps if I am from a new money background, people will think I have poor connections. Or maybe if I'm from a peerage background, people will think that I'm austere. Uh, Mm. So they can choose those from their sheet. And during the game, you can use these like you would use a resolve token to influence events in your favor. So it might be like, don't invite William. He's got poor connections. And then you would use William's poor connections tag like a resolve token to make that happen in the story. Mm-hmm. Assuming that the person who plays William agrees, of course. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about a good chunk of the kind of mechanical elements that people will be using. We've talked about character creation. Let's dive into cycles of play, which is like your eight-step program of how, of how to play this game. <laughs> I guess my first question is, we're planning on doing a a four-hour one-shot where we hope to complete a full story in that time. Mm. How many cycles of play are we likely to get through in that time? And what should we kind of be planning for going in? For a one-shot, I really would recommend just sticking with the one cycle of play and having the last epistolary phase. So epistolary is a phase for the writing of letters. Very important. Having the last (laughs) epistolary phase uh, be the epilogue of your game. So everyone Mm. writes a letter about what, what happens to them after the events of the story. Mm. And in a one-shot, I'd recommend, uh, you know, taking your time lingering on the novel chapters and also the uh, first epistolary phase you have because they're really going to be the core of your game and where a lot of the action is happening. And mm. you can kind of, like, let people know and structure it like, okay, a good way to think of a one-shot of Good Society is like a movie. So we're in the we're in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. We're not in the BBC yes. series, right? So yes. stuff <laughs> needs to happen. Uh, and so you can think of the first novel chapter and epistolary as sort of the ramp up. Things are getting, you know, more and more drama is stacking on top of each other. Things are coming to light. And then the last novel chapter is where you can hit that really big climax and then kind of start resolving things. And then the epilogue, you know, can help you find the complete resolution if not everything is resolved in that novel chapter mm. and chuck in some rumors scandal in there for good measure <laughs> yeah of course. of course you gotta have some rumors <laughs> and scandals what would a character do if they knew they were part of a story what would they say to the author that is pulling their strings In Samantha Lee's solo RPG, Death of the Author, players take on the role of a character fighting for control over their narrative. Draw tarot cards and modify scene prompts to bend the story to your will. Each change, however, comes with a consequence, as the author may use your own words against you. Death of the Author is crowdfunding on Backerkit from May 14th to May 28th. 
you can find the project by searching Death of the Author Backer Kit in your search engine of choice. Fight the narrative. Defy your author. Little Wolves is a folktale TTRPG where players fill the fur of shape-shifting werewolves in a realm of fey and of magic called the Enchanted Forest. Players will craft physical masks that represent their characters and use them during play to shift between their wolf and their mortal forms. As they perform favors and complete quests, new marks are made on their masks that reflect the real physical changes that the werewolves undergo. The Enchanted Forest is deep and detailed with fey queens, courts, and all manner of denizen for your werewolves to meet. The crowdfunding campaign for Little Wolves launches May 14th. You can follow the campaign at bytes.rip slash littlewolves. That's B-Y-T-E-S dot R-I-P slash littlewolves. And you can check out the free demo and quick start at bytes.rip slash littledemo. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! So real quick, I want to run down the eight items in a single cycle of play. Uh, So we're starting with the novel chapter. What should players be thinking about during the first novel chapter? Mm, so novel chapters are in character play. Um, and the main thing to think about in a one shot in the first novel chapter is definitely pursuing your desire. So in a longer game, you might let it fester a little bit, uh, but in a one shot, uh, so a desire is the thing that your character wants above all else as the game begins. And that's part of the play sets that we were talking about earlier. And really just focusing straight away on bringing that to pass and focusing on relationships with other major characters is uh, really the way to go in that chapter. Um, And as a facilitator, Carolyn, you can kind of help people get into that zone uh, either by asking them questions that maybe lead them there, like, you know, oh, Elizabeth, this is the first time you've seen Mr. Darcy since his last proposal to you, or whatever it is, um, (laughs) that help bring that drama into focus. Uh, mm-hmm. Or even offering resolve tokens, like in the middle of the dancing, you turn around to face your next partner and you see that it is none other than Mr. Darcy, which would take my <laughs> resolve token for that. So you can use you can use your tools to really throw that into focus. I like how you make that clear in the in the game manual in the PDF of the game that the facilitator should be using those resolve tokens early on to 
kind of demonstrate how they work. And also because it is, I think players can sometimes be hesitant to step on anyone's toes and interact with, you know, to mess up another player's character. But I I think I'm hoping this will incentivize them to do that because mm. the more interaction, the more they're messing with each other's lives and with their own lives, the better. I think the better for the story. Yes. Messy the way it should be. <laughs> the way Austin intended. Yeah. <laughs> it is also a thing I've learned from experience on this podcast that on a lot of episodes, we'll all of a sudden get halfway through a like four hour recording and realize we have not used the mechanics one time. <laughs> like when we played Wander Home, we got to the we we talked to Jay afterwards and Jay was like, Yeah, you, you played great. You never used the mechanics. And we were like, Yeah, we know, we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I ran a game that uh, I wrote and I realized I was an hour and a half into a three hour recording session and not a dice had been rolled. So <laughs> yeah, definitely like making sure to have to help out players get those things going because everyone's trying something new. They're learning something new. They're trying to keep all mm-hmm. their bits together. And the more we start playing with those mechanics, the faster we kind of learn them and figure them out. Yeah. And then second is the reputation phase. Uh, what's What happens in the first reputation phase? Yeah, so we sort of talked about that earlier, pretty much exactly as I said. You'll assess your character's behavior in the game so far and decide whether or not they will gain a positive or negative reputation tag. Great. That's a short little phase. Simple, easy, clean. We love it. <laughs> and then we move on into what I'm sure will be a juicy bit of play, the rumors and the scandals phase. So in that phase, uh, everyone is going to create the rumor and scandal that is floating around town. And that is not from their character's perspective. That is whatever you as the player think should be the gossip. Uh, (laughs) And everyone gets two turns. And during your turn, you can either create a new rumor from scratch or you can spread a rumor that someone else has created. And that's basically a way of saying like, hey, this rumor is important and everyone is talking about (laughs) it. So if we're only playing with one cycle, there's only one rumor and scandal phase. So how can we still include that, even though knowing that a rumor won't fade out because we're only going to have mm. one part, one uh, one cycle for rumor, rumor and scandal? So the rumor and scandal phase sort of has two different functions. Uh, this is more taking a game design lens, but I think it is helpful to know. Um, I love a game design lens. <laughs> one is that... It helps people think about ideas for what could happen in the story or what could that what could be interesting. And even in a one shot, just by engaging in that exercise, you're going to go into the next novel chapter with new ideas uh, mm. in your head. And then the other thing is that it does create these spread rumors, which you can then use in the game at themselves. Uh, mm. You will probably end your rumor and scandal phase with some spread rumors that could be useful. Um, but more importantly, is that you've thought about the way that the town thinks about the characters and some things that, you know, could happen or even if they don't happen, could be could affect the futures of the characters and that will carry mm. forward into your game, even in a one shot. I love that. It's almost like a chorus, you know, the Greek chorus chapter where we we step out of our characters and we see like what the what the rest of the town yes, is thinking. Exactly. It's so fun. Love that. And then we get to do what will be Likely my favorite phase, because uh, I'm a big <laughs> letter writer. The epistolary phase, or the first of the epistolary phases. What does this look like for our first time? In the epistolary phase, and this is the same for every epistolary except the final one. Essentially, you are writing letters from your character 
or the connection that you control. So in good society, as well as your major character, everyone plays a secondary character called a connection um, to any other characters or connections. And the way that you do that is simply by dictating the letter out loud. So it's, Dear so-and-so, I had such a fabulous time at your event on Thursday. Do wonder if you might you know, come with me on a walk through the gardens. Don't tell anybody. Or whatever it is. Uh, so um, it's probably one of my favorite phases in the game. I cannot wait to ham it up on letter writing. Uh, I think it's going to be yeah. absolutely great. I have a couple of questions with this part. Do you encourage your players to actually write letters out? Or is that just like, do you be like, okay, everyone stop down for 10 minutes, like go write a letter and then come back? Or do you just say, you know, go ahead, improv it. Tell us the general contents. Mm. So in a one-shot game, I would really just encourage people to improv it. And they don't have to say word for word what's in the letter. Some people might choose to if they've played a lot of role-playing <laughs> games and that's something they enjoy. Yeah. Paraphrasing a letter <laughs> is also completely fine. Like you can just say, um, you know... Jonathan sends a really obnoxious letter about how much he hated the party. Fine, you know, uh, and you might add some details in there as well. If you are uh, playing a longer game of this, sometimes what um, I'll find that folks do is they like to have more time to think about their letters and maybe even write one between sessions. But that is really a personal preference. Some people also just prefer to, you know, think about it when the phase arises and just mm. um, say it at that time. My second question is not to do with anything mechanical. It's just curiosity. <laughs> Have you ever had a game um, that you've been a part of where someone has been playing their connection character and then they fall in love with that character and they're like, I don't want to play my main character anymore. And the connection character like <laughs> rises to be a main character. I don't think that I have seen uh, somebody actually switch in the duration of the game, but there is definitely many games I've seen where those two characters have become equally important and maybe mm. even the connection is getting more screen time than the major character and the person playing them <laughs> is so happy though with that. They're like, what if my connection was there? And you're like, or your major character? And they're like, oh, my connection. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's definitely going to happen. I think when it comes to connections, you can play it a bit more uh, fast and loose than you would with your major character. And sometimes mm. that, that creates characters that are just very lovable or very stupid and thus very lovable or, you know, um, whatever <laughs> right. it is. So people do. Right. Tend to enjoy that experience. <laughs> this really feels like the player's version of uh, the like the DM's curse of having the inconsequential NPC becoming like the most important NPC of the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I'm very excited for everyone in the game to have to experience because it's the bane and love of my existence. <laughs> but I do think in a uh, one shot, it is well served to keep the focus on the major characters, just because uh, that's the source of the dramatic tension in the game. And I love connections. I love to see them. Uh, but often uh, when they first appear, they uh, kind of, they'll slow down the pace of drama, which is fine if you have a little bit more time, but in a one shot, you know, where you want to keep, uh, get mm. those sort of little arcs, as you were saying earlier, Carolyn. Um, sometimes, uh, unless you can think of how you want to use that connection in that scene, it's probably good to keep the spotlight mostly on the major characters. Cool. And then uh, part five, we're moving back into another novel chapter. And we'd said before, this is kind of where we should be seeing kind of a climax or, you know, the, the, the top of the story happening. Any other things we should be thinking about when we hit that second novel chapter? 
I think that's the main consideration in a one-shot. Definitely thinking like, this is the last time my character is going to appear on screen, so to speak. Mm. The, the epilogue is just, you know, the, the disembodied voiceover of your character over the ending sequence, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, if this is the last time my character is going to get to do something, what do they really need to do before this story is over? Mm. Just hit that hard. That's such a great way to think about it. What do they really need to do before the story's over? Like, is th- this is now's your time to propose? Now's your time to like Absolutely. tell your aunt that you're leaving to become a merchant marine or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that actually happened in a game I played. In- <laughs> really, <laughs> I'm amazed that you brought really that specific example. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Oh my god. Uh, f- f- from across the globe, we're connected. Yeah, we literally, <laughs> I guess we could be farther apart, but we're pretty on opposite sides of the, the mm-hmm. globe right now, right? Yeah. We're just all over the place. <laughs> we conclude the last novel chapter. We move back into a reputation phase. For for a one-shot and for a non-one-shot, what does the second reputation phase look like? So in a single cycle game, you actually skip the second reputation phase. So for a one shot, you will skip the second reputation phase. Mm. So it looks like nothing because it doesn't (laughs) exist. Um, We're down to seven. And then uh, we move back into an epistolary phase, which we've talked about is kind of a now narrating our epilogue. As far as, as hitting an ending hard with your final epistolary phase, this is the last thing you get to do. This is... The thing that's trailing over top of the credits. Any advice for Carolyn to make sure like everyone is kind of hitting those moments and everyone has their big moment in the sun. And also for players to make sure that they make their like literal last thing they get to say as exciting and, and powerful as possible. Uh, I usually let people know that their epilogue can be any time that they would like. So it can be something that's two weeks later or it could be two years later. Um, and I find from that, like, people will naturally find the story that they want to tell in the epilogue. I think people really hit their big moments actually in that novel chapter, uh, the last novel chapter. And when they get to the epilogue at that point, it's more just about wrapping up the loose ends and putting a, you know, a button on their character's story, and people tend to intuitively know what it is that they want to do to wrap that story up. Mm. Maybe finding, like, a nasty end for a connection that was particularly <laughs> cruel or something. <laughs> like that. Definitely could be. Very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern moment. <clears throat> yeah, they're just dead. <laughs> the last phase is the upkeep phase. For longer games, what is that? What would players be focusing on during an upkeep phase? Yeah, so upkeep is really about checking in, making sure that everything is on track for you to continue your drama. It does have some like administrative elements like refreshing resolve tokens and that kind of thing. Primarily what you're doing is checking in with your collaboration settings, checking in with your desire um, to make sure that they're still the right things for you to be going into the next cycle of play with. And in a uh, game that's sort of substantially longer, like we're talking five or more sort of sessions, you might also choose to use it in a conflict, which is the two wolves inside your character arguing. Uh, so if you use that, that gets established and uh, progressed during the upkeep phase as well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a cycle of play. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> which we love. So we'll only be using six of these eight things, but for longer games, we'll be, we would be using them all. We've been talking mostly about one-shots and short games. Are there any other tips and tricks that you'd want to share with people who are planning five, six, seven session games that would be significantly different from what we'd be doing in a one shot? I think with a longer game, uh, you are well served to sort of 
uh, take the time in your first cycle to like use that, or especially the first novel chapter in Epistolary, as more of an introduction to set up the status quo of your characters, what their lives are like, what their relationships are like um, from the, you know, uh, before you, and then you can take the drama from there. Like you can linger on it a bit longer and really bring in those connections and see their importance in your story. Um, I think, I think with a longer game, uh, I think the most important thing is just making sure that you're keeping the conversation going, uh, out of character, um, about where you want to go with the story. You know, you don't have to like know what's going to happen, but sort of which, which way you're pushing, where your vibes are heading, what you're interested in and keeping your cards on the table rather than up your sleeve. Mm. Uh, so good society is really a game about collaborating. You know, you don't want to be like keeping an out of character secret from people unless you're playing with hidden information, but that's a whole thing. Um, but um, <laughs> like generally you want to be telling people, you know, what you are thinking, what you're wishing so that you can all work together. I think that's so intriguing. That's such a fascinating way to play a character and be in a collaborative situation because it allows other people to be in on your drama. Oh, yeah. So if a dramatic moment happens for one character, everyone's privy to that. And I think that's so cool because sometimes... We want to keep secrets. We have these, in role-playing games, we have these big epic characters that have dark backstories and secrets, and so we want to keep those. But this lets, put, as you said, puts all your cards on the table. I think that's so fun. Absolutely. In good society, you can bet that if you have a skeleton in your closet, someone else's character is going to be getting up in your closet pretty quickly because they know that the player knows that skeleton is in there and they want to open right. that closet. So that's right. kind of like part of the charm of it, I think. <laughs> I want a closet full of skeletons. That's all I want. You can have that. You can have that in the game. I say all this now that I want to have like a lovable loser and like I want to put him all the way down, but I'm sure I'll somehow end up being like the uh, I'll, I'll somehow I'll end up being the exact opposite of that and still having a great time. <laughs> so we talked through the majority of the rules that we need to focus on, especially for a one shot. There are some additional rules that you would maybe use for longer games, something like hidden information. I want to kind of turn it to you, Haley, about what your best advice is for people who are trying this for the first time. And I think we've touched on a lot of this throughout the interview, but are there any other generic kind of like best practices or maybe like traps that you've seen people fall into or you yourself have fallen into when you were playtesting that if this starts to happen, you're probably going down the wrong path? Or if you're mm. doing this, you're probably doing something right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in terms of best practices, so before I'll say it again, good society is a conversation. Uh, at the end of the day, most of the time. And that is a conversation that you should be having together. So from a facilitator standpoint, sort of one of the best things you can do is ask questions and listen to the answers and then integrate those answers when you ask more questions later. And you can ask open questions to help people flush out scenes. You know, what are you wearing to the ball? What's your outfit look like? Uh, or, or even this is your grandmother's house. What's the thing you hate most about it? But you can also ask those leading questions that I was talking about to help people focus on the drama or the things that are important to their characters. And people will give away a lot in their answers and you can take that and you can use that later as well. And exactly as you mentioned, Carolyn, about what you wanted to do with this game, helping people to get the time that they need to play out the stories that are important to them and that, mm. you know, everyone's story is important and significant 
and just moving the story uh, to the interesting points. Mm. And I cannot stress this enough that when you are facilitating, you do not need to make up the story, but rather your job is to help everyone, you know, sort of work together to follow the natural consequences of the story. So you can think of it yourself as setting up the Jenga tower, and then you can watch <laughs> all the other people as they struggle to put the pull the pieces out, and eventually the whole thing's <laughs> going to get knocked down, right? So you're just helping to set that Jenga tower up again and again so that there's always a bit of drama ready to pull from and, and um, play out. And sometimes in a longer game, the facilitator may actually introduce events or twists if they feel like the story is getting slow or they have a great idea. Absolutely can and mm. should do that. Um, but in a shorter game, really, you're not going to have a lot of time to pull from the Jenga tower. So it's about <laughs> making sure that the drama that's already there like comes in, into focus. Right. And trusting players that when you take their two characters that hate each other and make them dance together at the mall, Spock's going to fly. <laughs> I think that the pitfall that people most commonly fall into good society, and this is really as a player, but something you can totally watch out for as a facilitator and notice if it happens. There's sort of two most common ones. One is the one that we talked about a bit earlier, which is people keeping secrets um, from other players on the table. Mm. And mm-hmm. then then they want to pull their secret out, but everyone is like, hang on, what's happening? What's going on? How did we get here? Didn't really want to go there. <laughs> and it just can create a lot of collaboration issues later on in the game Mm -hmm. the other one that i see is people pulling into a space outside of what is contemplated in collaboration uh so generally what the game asks people to do is stay within the space that you define in collaboration so okay if my tone is drama i'm not going to have a scene where five llamas enter and i ride them off to the sunset (laughs) you know fair we're, (laughs) we're exploring more serious tone here but sometimes people will pull out of that or really uncomfortably play at the edges of it. And that can either be because they don't really understand what you decided in collaboration and they don't realize that they're doing that, or they are not really thinking about it and they're just doing what's natural for them. Mm -hmm. And that can cause the whole game to pull in a direction or it can make everyone kind of like unsure of what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. So it can be useful when you, if you see somebody doing that, just gently like, them back a little bit say uh, you know maybe now's not the time for llamas but i'm sure you can go for a horse ride you know <laughs> right. Um, right. maybe now's not the time for llamas is an excellent <laughs> sentence and, and open the open the conversation oh i see you're taking this in a more lighthearted direction how does everyone else feel about that is that something we want to do or do we want to sort of stick with that drama tone we talked about earlier um mm-hmm. and and a lot of those conversations will more likely to happen over a longer game because there's more time for drift. Um, as I mentioned, not a lot of time for drift in a one-shot. And I think the last pitfall that's quite easy um, happen in a one-shot as a longer game is where just two people don't quite understand each other. So one person thinks one thing's happening in the scene, the other person thinks something else is happening in a scene, or one person misunderstands something about someone else's backstory and so they are treating them in a way that doesn't make sense to the other player. And just those mm-hmm. little, like... Um, Miscommunications, the really easier as a facilitator to say, wait, no, hang on. Uh, I think we said that that Ben arrived two months ago. Is that right? And then the other person's like, oh, two months. Oh, I thought you said two years. Okay, got it. Yeah, right, let's go. Um, or right, whatever it right. is. So just people being at cross purposes and they don't, you as a facilitator, you can see it, but they are in a scene and they don't really understand what's happening. So just just jumping in to sort of help people get on the same page. and right. pretty sure that everything I've just said applies to all role-playing games. But <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
always, you can always refresh the basics, right? <laughs> always work on the fundamentals. I've said all this stuff and a lot of it is like best practices, but at the end of the day, and like, you know, I've heard you say this before, Brian, if everyone is having fun and feeling comfortable, you're doing it right. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like, I think it's easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself as a facilitator about, you know, that you have to make a great story or everyone has to have like a total arc for their character. But um, at the end of the day, uh, like if if people are vibing and they're having fun and they're having a good time, that's more important than the actual story you tell if you were to take it and write it down in a novel. Um, so I think I think just if there's space to relax and, and enjoy it, I think that's the most important thing. <laughs> oh, I love that. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. We say it every episode, folks. Yeah. Mandatory. I believe that so strongly. <laughs> and it's worked out for us so far. And I think it will continue to do so with this game. Carolyn, the last thing I want to talk about with you specifically is we've we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've tried to address a lot of your concerns. How do you feel from the start of this interview? Do you still have any of these worries? And then kind of where are you feeling most confident in this upcoming game? And where are you feeling the least confident? Well, Haley's actually put a lot of my worries to bed, which is great. (laughs) I know you're making a podcast, Brian, but this has been very helpful for me. So, um, hey, the podcast is secondary. I want to set you up for success, (laughs) so we have a fun game. Yeah, I think the just really clearly walking through the cycles of play feels like such a strong foundation and ladder to climb up that really guides the that I think is really going to guide the story and guide us that's making me feel a little bit better about like time management stuff and also I think we've said it a bunch of times but like the spirit of the game is collaboration the heart of the game is collaborative storytelling and I know our players I love all of our players that we're going to be playing with I trust them all And I also feel very comfortable talking with them and being like, hold up, that's not quite what we agreed on. Like, let's run it back. I feel like I could totally do that with these folks. And they'll also all be in on the cycles of play. They'll also know, okay, we've been in the novel chapter for, you know, a little bit. We're going to be probably moving on to reputation soon or like, okay, we spread that rumor. Now I better start thinking about my letter. So I think they'll be able to manage the pace as well. So it's not just all on me. I guess I'm still, I guess I'm least confident about keeping track of everything, but <laughs> that's what that's what Google Docs are for. And we've got this awesome, um, Haley's made this really great um, online resource. So it's very easy to play. We're all over the country going to be recording in different spots, but there's a really great database for online play that all the players share and they can see everyone else's character, everyone else's connection. It's like a one sheet, like at a glance, all the information you need to know about your story. So I'm very happy to have that tool also. It is a very, very cool tool. And I don't want to end on what you're least confident about. Uh, <laughs> I want to I, I know what are you most excited about about this game? In your your dream of dreams, your heart of hearts, what do you think is going to be the best part of playing this game with this group of people? And what, what does like the biggest, grandest success look like for you? Well, I think I'm most excited about the beginning and the end together. Like, I'm so excited mm-hmm. to see what characters people come up with. Like, is there, you know, this matronly dowager who's like, really mean or is there this like young upstart you know niece that's like just come from london and is like 
doing all sorts of scandalous stuff. Just who are these people? How do they feel about each other? And then where do they go? Like, do they end up getting their desires? Do their, has their desire changed by the end? Or is anyone going to get married? Who's going to be rich and who's going to be destitute by the end? Tune in to this season <laughs> to find out. Tune in indeed. <laughs> I am kind of sad that I probably won't to get to do my low-class <laughs> orphan voice too much, though. You could certainly do it. We'll do that. We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> I, I know that no, I know we're set in England, but somehow my Southern's going to come out because it's, it's, it seems <laughs> to be the only Lego. accent that I really that I really <laughs> nailed. And so I feel like this is going to come out somewhere. It's inappropriate. It doesn't work for this story, but it's going to come out. So I'm, I'm just going to embrace it now and, you know, be fine like with it. it. I mean, you could be a farmer from Virginia, from the Americas. That was. I could be coming over from the Americas, hopping across the pond, (laughs) uh, partaking in uh, fine and high society. (laughs) Shit, now I might have to do that. I got to get a new accent. I can't just have the one. Uh, Such is life. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon, Good Society. Thank you so much to Carolyn and Haley for joining me today. Can both of you tell everyone who's listening what else you're up to and where they can find you? Carolyn, let me start with you. Yeah, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Jacuzzi Tubs with two Bs. Ask me about the story sometime why I'm called Jacuzzi Tubs. Um, oh, I didn't know there was a story. Now I got to know the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you another time. Okay, okay. It's not, it, yeah. I'm streaming uh, all the time on Twitch. You can catch me on Dropout, all kinds of stuff. Oh, and hosting every Wednesday, uh, Fuck, Mary Kill Champions. It's a competitive Fuck, Mary Kill game show. We take three comedians um, and pit them against each other, and the audience votes on who had the best Fuck, Mary Kill answers. So check that out on the You Jokes YouTube channel. We love it. And Haley, where can people find you? We are at Story Brewers or Story Brewers Roleplaying pretty much everywhere on the internet. So if you type that into your search bar, Story Brewers Roleplaying, you will find every and all our things uh, if you want to find this game you can also search for good society rpg and it will take you to our website i think i hope <laughs> <laughs> it does good thank can you can confirm it does take you to the website <laughs> all those links will be down in the description and tune in next week where carolyn and i will be joined by emma fife katie marovich persephone valentine and nathan yaffe if that's not a cast that gets you excited to play this game i do not know what will join us as we don our sharpest of vestments and enter into the world of high society i don't know what that accent was that was awful (laughs) i'm gonna leave it all in i'm gonna leave it all in (laughs) thank you so much both of you for joining me this was a blast and as always remember if you're having fun you're already doing it right Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, all. It's Brian. Real quick before you go, if you like this show and you want to support more great seasons, you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. That's the name of our one and only Patreon tier that's just $5, where you'll get additional actual plays and extended talkbacks each and every month. We'll see you there. Splash. You like us. You really like us. At least, I assume that you do, as you've listened to every minute of this episode. And yet you haven't already left us a five-star review? Well, what are you waiting for? 
Get over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave that review now. It's always wonderful to hear words from our adoring fans. Getting more ratings helps people find the show and love it as well. And we love to hear your nice words. So head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. Ta-ta!